You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Welcome to episode 50 of Mike and Kristen. We are a podcast and we talk to people in the creative world and sometimes entrepreneurs and randomly naturopaths have <laughs> somehow ended up on here a fair bit. And our podcast has just cracked the top 100 arts podcasts in not Woo! only Canada, not Nova Scotia, not, not Cape Breton, not Cape Breton, but the whole world. The whole wide world. Yeah, keep singing. The whole wide world. Beautiful. I'm just making it up. You said you were going to teach me to sing a little bit. You can tell that I need lessons. But every time I do, you you don't want to. I'm a very shy singer, except for right now, because I'm excited. When the whole wide world is listening, you're willing to put your voice out there. We had a giveaway last week, and we have announced our winner. Congratulations to Ellen McDonald. She is from Cape Breton herself. Yeah. And in doing that, we received all these amazing reviews for the podcast. People subscribed, and that's what helped us boost into the top 100. Yeah, it was pretty cool. We we were number 99, and uh, some friends of ours, some good friends in Sydney, we were up visiting. They bought us a bottle of uh, Wayne Gretzky 99... Um, what do you call liqueur? it? Liqueur? It's like a, it it's like a Bailey's. Yes, like a, it was a delicious cr- creamy, liquid. Creamy Bailey's, but Wayne Gretzky made it himself. Like Wayne bottled it, did all, all the work. That's his and, job now. But yeah, that was a super sweet thing once we hit the, cracked the top 100, holding down the Gretzky spot. We should have done 99 shots, maybe. 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. That's a good song. Podcast too. rating ain't one. Yeah. Did you guys ever play Century Club growing up? I think that was 100 uh, shots. University. Yes. 100. Growing up, I guess. <laughs> a little I, lass in I Cape was Breton. eight years old and my parents <laughs> organized all the kids in the neighborhood to come over and do 100 shots of beer. Okay. Yeah, it's beer. That's right. Yeah, you, you wouldn't survive off well, hard liquor. You can tell gu- how much I drink. One guy tried to do 100 shots. He bought a Texas Mickey, as we call them here. And he tried to do a hundred shots of rum. Yikes. Which is, that's, that's a fair bit. Well, today's guest, Mr. Craig Mercer, may have done a hundred shots of rum at some time in his life. He's got a, a long history of being in the industry and he's certainly had some wild nights under his belt, I'm sure. Oh, every musician does. And Craig has a lengthy and legendary career and he's a... Uh, very very talented musician great singer great songwriter and kind of his band jimmy swift band kind of created a bit of a movement and a bit of their own sound that was copied by a lot of people and still is really you don't meet many people especially in the arts because you can't help but be influenced by other styles and genres and in my case different techniques craig is one of the only people i know that can say that about himself innovative yeah like he's an inventor yeah let's call him that yeah (laughs) craig the inventor mercer (gasps) 
And he went on after kind of leaving that gig full time uh, and he became an instructor. He was at the Nova Scotia Community College and we've had lots of our guests talk about Craig and what an amazing mentor he was. Just last week, uh, Rudy Pache and TJ referenced that they had learned so much from Craig. Yeah, he was teaching music there, so the yeah. music industry. So yeah, he, every job he's ever had, he said, has been somehow related to music. So. And he just keeps growing and growing, and he's now uh, really supporting the creative industries in Nova Scotia, working behind the scenes. So he's he's just always giving himself to to others, which is and most importantly, he's married to Orion. All those Ryans, I swear. <laughs> I'm outnumbered by you guys. <laughs> we'll start having your family members on soon. I don't know. I don't know that we will. <laughs> you, you got your your cousin won the world championship for darts. That's true. Like Jeff the Silencer Smith. The Silencer. Actually was the best dart player in the entire world. Mm-hmm. I don't like, know where he's ranking these days, but I mean, he's still a world champ and... Renowned, but I don't know if he's playing like... the silencer. <laughs> <laughs> Does he ever just yell that? No, he's silent. I think he just sits in silence. He's oh. like a monk. That's why he's so good at it. I think it'd be better if he just yells the silencer <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Want to yell it together? Yep. One, two, three. The, the silencer! silencer. Anyway, let's get into Craig's episode. Lots of good music stories. Lots of just kind of inspiring stuff. So. Woo! <laughs> yeah, Mike was in Cape Breton a few weeks ago, and I was home. I, I purposefully wanted to be home by myself and, like, not make any plans with friends or to go out. And I found, yeah, like after three or four days of mm. even not even hearing your own voice, it started to feel oh. kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. Must have been singing to yourself a little bit. A little though. bit, yeah. Oh. I, you can see how people would start talking to themselves after a while, though, if they yeah. weren't interacting. Oh, yeah. It's a good show if you like, if you want to follow somebody else's descent into madness. Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Just watch comfortably <laughs> from your couch, you yeah. of course. Yeah. Feel good about your own mental... Uh, That's right. Issues when you see someone else going through it. Yeah. yeah so before this job, you've been in a lot of different worlds. You've had a yeah. lot of different gigs. and Well, I was a full-time musician for almost 20 years. Okay. So uh, every job I've ever had was because of music, and music was the reason for every job I ever had. So yeah, That was your road. That was my road, yeah. Um, started just playing lots of music and then booking my own band because nobody else would do it and then realizing hey i'm pretty good at this and then other bands would ask me to book them and then i started a booking agency out of that like geez some 25 30 years ago yeah and uh yeah so i did that for many years and then moved on to other roles in the music industry yeah um, at one point in time jimmy swift band was playing like 200 plus shows a year. I don't know if we ever got to 200, yeah. but like definitely in the mid ones. So yeah. like 150 shows a year for yeah. several years in a row. I think we did over a thousand shows with that band. And yeah. so I was booking that band and uh, most of the other jam bands in the country, like uh, yeah. Grand Theft Bus, of course, you know, yeah. and Slow Coaster and Wasabi Collective and a lot of those West Coast, uh, that West Coast yeah. crew. So uh, that was, those were busy times for sure. So back 
before Jimmy Swift band growing up in in Cape Breton? Are you Sydney, Cape from Breton. Sydney proper? I am from Lingan Road, which is halfway between the pier and New Adderford. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So you had a little little bit of everything around you. A little, little bit of everything. <laughs> I grew up in the middle, like in, in the middle of nowhere. The closest house to mine was a farm. Yeah. Uh, where I worked almost every day before school, nice. <laughs> in high school, in junior high and high school. What were you doing? Uh, shoveling cow manure and yeah. milking cows. Nice. You know, good, you can good say old farm boy. If you want to. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess, like, yeah. <laughs> Going hayin'. So how did, hayin', yeah. how did music come into your life? Uh, <laughs> I, um, so I grew up in this rural, rural road and, uh, you know, the, the houses are really far apart, so what happened was all the kids hung out, even if they were like, there was a bunch of years between them. And there was this guy, Tony Candelora, who lived down the road from me. And yeah. he was the kind of guy who wore a leather jacket like 365 days a year. So he was extra cool. Extra cool, yeah. yes. extra hot on yeah. hot days, but <laughs> extra cool even when he was extra hot. And uh, so we started hanging out with uh, with with Tony Candelora and uh, started playing guitar because he played guitar. Yeah. Did you want to be like him? I at the time, yeah, we wanted to be like Tony Candelora. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we so. all have a little bit of that Tony desire in us, I think. Did yeah. You, did you get a leather jacket at an early age? I, I had a leather jacket at an early age. I had <laughs> you know snakeskin cowboy boots at an, <laughs> in, oh, in high yeah. school. That's as impressive well. for a small pretty, town Cape Bretoner. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I got photos to prove it. So I'm guessing when you started playing guitar, you learned the the same stuff every teenage boy learns as they're they're going along a little bit of classic rock and all that how did how did you become the goliath of a jam band the jimmy swift band was uh i i grew up on metal like uh and there's a there's a lot of uh there's a lot of metal maybe hidden in in everything i've ever done certainly a lot of iron maiden and uh and metallica um and when I but when I came to university, I started jamming with this guy named Cameron Abdi, who's I still say one of the best guitar players uh, there is that I've yeah. ever heard. And uh, Cameron's still still a good friend of mine. And uh, he kind of opened my eyes to like this whole jam band world and started listening to like Almond Brothers and Santana and yeah. a bunch of bands in that sort of that uh, vein. And um, then I started playing in a band with Cameron called PF Station, and yeah. we started playing uh, we jam music. So yeah. that was kind of how how that happened. And then just the did I'm I'm guessing playing in front of the audience kind of shaped your songs in some way. Yeah, yeah. We I mean I think it started off because we only had a couple of songs. It's like we got to yeah. jam the hell out of these songs, so <laughs> we don't have enough songs for a set. Yeah. And uh, and we loved uh, improvising and uh, and fans really responded. So um, yeah, we uh, we didn't like set out to say we're going to be a jam band and this is the music yeah. we're going to write. We just wrote music and um, and really enjoyed that uh, improvisational aspect of music as well. Yeah, we've had quite a few guests that also grew up in small towns, and Mike and I did ourselves. Did you feel like even though maybe you weren't exposed to the industry at large that you still kind of had that knowing that this would be the life you'd pursue? It's hard to say. I I, I don't know that I thought I was going to be a full-time musician until I guess in high school I f- sort of felt that way, but I did go to university, I came to to Halifax to go to university thinking at the time that I was going to go to law school and 
that didn't happen. And when I actually, when I graduated university and was considering like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to law school? I'm going to do some, you know, a master's in something. Yeah. I had friends who were in law school and they were hating life and uh, yeah. and I was having a you know an awesome time being yeah. on tour with the band and so I was like oh, I've been going to do this for a while yeah. <laughs> this this is a little bit more fun than what my friends are going through here. I gotta ask about I heard it briefly but there's a story of soccer practice that includes music. Oh gosh, the <laughs> soccer practice where so years ago um, I think this was. Jeez, I wouldn't know the year, but it was uh, when I was in probably junior high, and I was a huge Iron Maiden fan. Yeah. And Iron Maiden came to Sydney. They weren't playing in Sydney, because that would just be too easy. Just vacationing. They, well, no, they were actually rehearsing <laughs> for a tour that they had done, uh, okay. that they were doing their um, Power Slave tour. So it was like they were doing a week of rehearsals yeah. at Center 200 in Sydney. And they didn't play in Sydney, which is just, you know, cruel and unusual punishment for an Iron Maiden fan. Yeah. So I uh, I was planning to skip soccer practice and, uh, or sorry, I did skip soccer practice and <laughs> I went to, uh, um, to, to try to meet Iron Maiden. And yeah. meanwhile, Iron Maiden showed, uh, showed up and played a little bit of soccer no. with our soccer team. No. And it was, yeah, it was one of those moments that uh, I'll never get back, but it yeah. uh, makes for a good story. Hopefully Iron oh. Maiden hears this episode. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Where did you go to try to find them? Uh, Center 200. I was just yeah. hanging out at Center 200, and I'd, I'd done that a couple of days that week. And If cell phones existed Maiden. back then, it would have been, Craig, get over here. Iron Maiden's playing soccer with us. I know. <laughs> yeah, alas. Yeah, we, don't have, we didn't have those modern yeah. day technologies back then. Do you yeah. have any desire to do touring at this phase of your life? Um, I, I mean... I still like to play shows. I don't have a desire to be away from my family for weeks at a time. Yeah. But uh, certainly, you know, I love doing little weekend rips and, uh, you know, I'd probably go away for as long as a week. Yeah. But uh, being away from the family is not something I'm really interested in at this point. Yeah. Makes sense. Your whole time you were playing music, did you ever think that, okay, I got to now's the time I should probably go back and go to law school or further my education or look for a more stable job. It, it, well, it's, I mean, it's so interesting because that, that happened a bunch of times yeah. in my career and I didn't like go back to school or really look for a more stable job. But like, for example, I started a booking agency yeah. and, uh, and then I, I just became so busy booking bands and it was detracting from the, what I really wanted to do, which was play music. And then, uh, in a fit of rage and madness, I just sort of stopped booking. I, I, I closed the booking agency, which was the stupidest thing I ever did because uh -huh. we were, we were doing really well. Um, and, uh, we hired an agent we started working with the agency group, with the Jimmy Swift band. And, um, and then I went back to playing music full time and, and then, you know, again, found myself getting to a point where, okay, geez, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I need to do a little bit more to make ends meet and, uh, started doing other, other jobs. I think at that time I took a role as the entertainment director at the Marquee Club. And yeah. so did that in addition to playing, but then found that was detracting from playing yeah. and then went back to playing again. And, you know, who's to say what would happen if I had to just like kept playing the whole time. Yeah. But, um, it was uh, an awesome way to get a lot of experience in a lot of different areas and, you know, the skills that you learn um, by trying to take something and 
turn it into a business like like a band yeah like those skills are transferable to any aspect of of life so like you know they'll set you up for success no matter what you're doing and I, you know I, I have friends uh, a friend of mine who works in the film industry who hires a lot of people you know he swears by hiring musicians yeah. because they you know that they, they've uh they're up against it all the time they find a way and uh and and that's the kind of people he wants to work with so there's a lot to be gained from uh, uh you know trying to forge uh, an independent path in music there's that scale of perseverance that is just ingrained into yeah. musicians and maybe just artistic people in general because there's a lot of points in time and what you came across yourself where you face a choice where okay either i have to dig in and figure out how to make this work or change it completely yeah and yeah there's a, a, so many moments in time where you just have to just dig your heels in and, and move forward and it's a good skill to have yeah absolutely i mean it's it's hustle and i like i don't know uh a music i don't think i know a musician that doesn't have it i yeah. mean you you have to have it to to work in this industry and um yeah there's a hell of a lot of it out there which is which is awesome to see yeah there's the perseverance, but you also have to learn a number of tangible, transferable skills, like you're saying. Like you're doing your own networking and advocacy for yourself and promoting. Um, you're doing web design in some cases. Like all of these things could apply to a number of jobs. So, yeah, musicians and creatives, I think, are taking on a lot of hats. Nobody's really brought this up before, Craig. So mm. I think it's good for... like. Because we sometimes get caught in our own bubble of what we think that our world as an entrepreneur could or should look like. But um, I like that you've raised that we kind of learn all these things along the way that could take us into any number of roles or worlds after the fact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of people that I know that left the music industry and had successful careers and they count the skills that they learned through music as you know, what made them successful in other, in other areas. It's just, you know, again, it's just that, that hustle. And if you can, if you can have a career in music, uh, you know, I firmly believe that if you can do that, you can pretty much do anything. Yeah. You can have a career in anything. So, uh, and I, you know, I guess that would be true of any sort of artistic medium. If you've got enough hustle to make people care, about your music to to generate some revenue to generate some interest then you know you could do that for any company in in uh, in in all sorts of different ways i remember 20 years ago i had this amazing summer of flame music with my band and we all decided we're leaving school and we're going to pursue music full time i don't think i ever told you this story but we all we moved to halifax we had a shitty apartment. We were all piled in there. It sounds vaguely familiar, and, but because it's very similar to probably what we did. your life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but then the uh, first few days we were there, like let's let's go out and see a van in Halifax, and we went to the attic. Jimmy Swift van was playing, and you know, I know we we were confident enough to quit school. We must have thought we were pretty good, right? We're 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 gonna take over the world. And I remember going to watch your show. And just being mesmerized by what was happening on stage. It was like, it was an eye open. It was inspiring and eye opening all at the same time. Like I'm watching this kind of masterclass of musicianship and just controlling a crowd 
and just how you made everything come together on stage for an entire audience to just feel everything you were doing. And we're just like playing these shitty friggin' tragic hip cover songs from the 80s and stuff. And uh, they are like, oh shit, we really got to up our game. <laughs> and that, uh, and we, we were, we always practice a lot, but I remember after that, just like, okay, we got to, we got to dive in headfirst to this. Had you two met at that point or? I don't think so. No? Probably, probably not that early. We would have shortly after that, but. Yeah, I don't think we, we knew each other then. And, and you know, maybe your, uh, your sense of being so impressed was clouded by the fact that uh, the the attic was the smoking room at the liquor dome at the time. And you <laughs> yeah. were inhaling. Literally like, cloudy. Basically pure cigarette smoke for two hours. There's and a lot of were, smoke in there. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of smoke in there. Uh, so, yeah, who can say? But those were, you know, those attic shows were, were pretty good times. Um, and, uh, you know, like many of the venues that have come and gone in, uh, in Halifax, uh, holds a special place in my memories for sure. But that, but again, that sound you were making on stage, that became a very unique thing that no one else was doing anywhere else. And then a lot of people kind of, I don't want to say copied you, but a lot of people were maybe inspired by you and took influence from you and created similar projects. But that was a really unique thing that you were doing for a long time. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, and you know, again, we didn't set out to make music that sounded like anything specifically. It was just, we wrote these tunes, and, and I think JSP was kind of the sound of the the different folks in the band, and, and what that sounded like together was, yeah. was JSP, and it was... It was pretty. It was it was a pretty cool era. We we got together last summer and did a show uh, at the Harvest Jazz and Blues Festival, which yeah. was awesome. Great to to come together um, with that crew, and and we were you know we're talking about maybe doing something in the future as well. Yeah. When you were creating with that band, was it more kind of on the fly, and you were improvising and piecing things together that way, or was it I'm home in my office space or whatever your creative space was, and you're focused and then come together after yeah i think it was a combination of both like certainly there were some songs that i would just write at home and then bring them into the band like uh, you know as you do but then you know because it was so improvisational sometimes we'd listen back at the tape and realize oh that was a really cool part like let's let's turn that into a song and you know that band was uh, we talked about how many shows we played and uh, you know I, I sometimes look back at that and and think about how i might have done things differently and you, you know, we'd be on the road so much and we'd come back and really the last thing we wanted to do was go to the studio or spend time together creating. Um, so, you know, I think if I was to do it again, probably would have played less and, and you know, gotten day jobs. Like we were very lucky in that we only made music and that's the only job that we had for yeah. many, many years. But it meant staying on the road a lot and it meant um, forsaking uh, writing material, recording material and you know, other aspects of, of the business of being in a band um, uh, for, the, for the live show. Uh, and I think if I did it again, I'd try to find a, a bit of a better balance there. And speaking of that balance, and if you could give advice to younger people, which you did for a long time as a teacher, what do you tell young bands? Like someone starting off who's about to get their feet wet in the industry like what what advice do you give to someone these days yeah i mean i think there's there's obviously a lot of advice that you could give to people um 
you, you know, I think that um, play every show like it's, you know, like it's your last and like really, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You never know who's in the room. And there was a couple of instances in my career where we played to, you know, few people and then really good things happened from that. So I think it's like, you know, really approach your career from that perspective. And, um, and you know, I would often talk about this in, in class uh, when I was teaching, but, you know, consider every show as a stepping stone to a bigger and better show down the line. And if that means that you've got to, you know, spend some money on lights or, or record the show and have somebody videotape it so that you, um, you can, uh, I just said videotape. That? <laughs> well, we didn't bad we didn't flinch, it, though. Yeah, I wouldn't have caught it video at all. Videotape. <laughs> yeah. You know, your videotape recorder, um, but, uh, you know, have, have somebody film the show, um, to, so that, you know, you've got that asset to, to help sell it and to, to help develop your audience. So I think that that's, that's certainly something, but it, I mean, it's hard to, you know, I can't imagine what it's like for young bands today um, to hit the road for a month. Uh, y you know, like we did it, geez, like 20 years ago and, and, you know, maybe as recent as, as 15, uh, maybe even as recent as 10 years ago, but um, it's a different time now. So yeah, I think it's more important than ever to leave it all on the stage yeah. and, and, play your ass off and, uh, and just really consider, um, that every single person that you turn into a diehard fan, um, that's how you grow. Like, you know, you don't yeah. grow from people saying that was a pretty good show. You grow from people saying that was the best fucking thing I've seen, uh, yeah. ever on stage. And, and when that sort of chatter starts to happen, that's when you can start to, to develop. And, you know, I, you know, I would say too, that like, until you're hearing that from people, you're probably not time to go on tour. It's yeah. probably not time. Like, you know, if you're here, if, if, if people are coming up to you every single night and saying that was the best fucking thing I've seen in years, then you can take that for, uh, you know, as a, a good sign to, Hey, maybe that, maybe there is something here and maybe, uh, we should start, uh, touring this. And if you're not hearing it yet, you probably need to go to work on making the show good enough so that you're hearing that kind of stuff. And even if you are hearing it, touring is expensive these days. It's there's other ways you can build an audience without having to get on the road. And That's right. 20 years ago, if you wanted a fan in London, Ontario, you had to go to London, Ontario and play there. But now it's there's much easier ways to to reach people. And I feel like a lot of the younger bands aren't playing as much. Yeah, I well, I, I can't imagine In a good how they way. could. Like, yeah, I can't imagine how they could. And you're right; there's just so many more ways to reach an audience now, and uh, and you know, you can see the people who are really good at it and who are being really creative and um, and finding unique ways to reach their audience are the ones that are having success. And, yeah. Um, so you know, it's 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 a different game than it was when uh, when we were starting our music career many years ago. For sure. Are there unique ways aside from just being online? Like, are you seeing, when you look at a creative way of presenting yourself or sh sharing your music, aside from the digital world, because that just seems to be so all-consuming now. Mm -hmm. Like, we think, well, maybe it's not as important to be in person or, you know, even in my case, having an art show because I can show it on the computer. But I like the idea of there being 
something other than maybe the mainstream, but still, you know, in person or personable? Yeah, I mean, I I, I honestly don't know. I I, I think that uh, if you're really good, um, your music will find a way to to your audience, and and your audience will grow. And and however you find a way to share that with folks, really, it's about being really good. And uh, because I think it's about generating that excitement in other people. And until that happens, you're you're not going to grow. So, however, you find a way to reach people. If it's online, you got to be really good, and people are going to share it. If it's at live shows and it's touring, you got to be really good, and people will start talking about it, and the you know the show will develop. You know, I I don't think there's any substitute for that in in the the recipe for sustainability. It's like you got to be good. You got to be doing something that people are interested in hearing that moves people in, in unique ways. You don't want like people have to experience something at your show that they're not experiencing other places. I think that's really important too. So, you know, thinking about that when you're, when you're putting your, your that's your a good show uh, quotable line, I would say like that, that's a simple, maybe seemingly simple piece of advice, but I think that uh, packs a punch to put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I don't know that everybody like needs to be thinking about that explicitly, but, um, you know, just be gen like, I mean, obviously, if people are genuine and they're, you know, if their music is, is genuine and it's the, you know, it's, it's what comes out of them, uh, it is going to be unique, I, I hope. But um, yeah, there's just, I don't think there's any substitute for, um, making your audience feel like they're seeing something that they can't see somewhere else. We have a very, very special sponsor of this episode that we both love dearly with all our hearts. The Rustic, Rustic Crust, Crust Pizza! Pizza! Yum, yum, yum. In Upper Tan Talon, Nova Scotia. These folks started off in a food truck and they now have a fully functioning restaurant. They've got a beer garden for the summertime. They get rent out for private events. They have everything there. Yeah, I can honestly say it's my favorite pizza in the world. Like, really? 10 out of 10, so delicious. It's my favorite spot to eat. And I play a lot of gigs there. They treat me like a god when I go there. They're so nice. It's hard to believe that a local pizza spot is such good supporters of the arts. They're also very supportive of community events. They have taken in a Ukrainian family. They're always giving to fundraising events. They're just amazing people across the board. And you have your art showcase there too. I've got art up there right now and I have to say I love their pizza as well of course but their Caesar salad is exceptional. Next level. The pizza is wood fired which makes it absolutely delicious and the tomatoes and flour are both from Italy. They've got an awesome collection of local craft beer and wine so you're sure to have a great drink to pair with your pizza. All of our guests that come to stay with us we bring them there for a meal. You can find this sweet little restaurant at 10 Sunny's Road in Upper Talon. They're open Tuesday to Sunday year round, and their website is therusticcrustpizzeria.com. Yeah, you should definitely check it out if you're in the area. You can go to the beer garden, you can go inside. It's a cool house converted into a restaurant. Great people doing great things that we truly are huge fans of. So check them out now. Rustic, Rustic Crust! Rustic, Rustic Crust! crust. I, th I think a good thing about 
this day and age, good and bad, is that there's no roadmap. And for some people, that's mm. horrible, right? Like, oh, well, what am I supposed to do? But it allows creative people to really lean into what they're good at. So if you, whatever, like making live performance videos, like you can just do that till the cows come home. If you like being funny online, you can do that. If you're serious and whatever, read poetry, you can capture that. So I think yeah. everyone who's growing as a, as an act has something about them that, again, is reaching out to the audience and they're finding something in them that is entertaining in some way. But it's amazing that no two people or two groups are really doing the exact same thing. Yeah, that's a good point, because I think your audience is always different, too. Like the recipient of your music is also diverse. So you're catering to somebody. I've been trying to pay attention more at shows lately about being being part of the show as an audience member. Mm. So feeling the crowd with you, like when everyone's in unison, maybe it's singing along or dancing or just paying attention, but it feels way different than you're, if you're at a crowded bar and somebody's singing and you're kind of talking amongst yourself. Like the feeling you get in those moments when you're in harmony, not only with the audience, but with the band, like you feel kind of part of the show at that mm -hmm. point. And like, those are my favorite things to attend. But I, I know like Mike, you're saying, having this variety, there might be some people, especially nowadays, that don't leave their house as much. So it works for them to be part of maybe an online Zoom show um, or whatever the example is. So that's I think that's a really helpful point to raise that your expression of your creativity can look lots of ways because somebody is going to resonate with it. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think that uh, you're right. There's so many ways to express yourself. And we can, re you know, I'm, we're sitting in a recording studio right now where I'm sure you've yeah. recorded albums. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we never, like 20 years ago, didn't have that capability. Um, we, we have so many ways to to share music right now yeah. and to, to share what makes us unique as artists. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's a, I think it's a really interesting time to be playing music and to be involved in the, in the music industry. And, you know, I'm no longer teaching, um, music and, and, and music business, which is what I taught for, for many yeah. years. And mostly because like, I was starting to feel like, you know, how can I possibly be qualified to teach this? Um, you know, so far, you know, I, I started, um, uh, a full-time job 10 years ago and had a family and that was kind of what drew me to, to uh, you know, taking being off the road. I guess yeah. was uh, the fact that I wanted to have a family. And uh, but the the longer I was sort of teaching and and not on the road, the further removed I was starting to feel from being a part of the music industry. So, yeah. um, you know, I was starting to feel like uh, I was starting to feel future imposter syndrome. Like <laughs> I wasn't feeling imposter syndrome at the point in time that I was, but I was feeling like you know what, in five years, I'm probably going to have imposter syndrome in this job, so I better uh, move on. There's got to be a term for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anticipatory imposter Anticipatory syndrome. Anticipatory imposter syndrome. Yeah, I like it. So you wanted to be at home more. You wanted to be close to the family. And what, or how did you f find the opportunity to teach? Like, it's, you're the perfect skill set to actually do that. 
did it just kind of the everything kind of align at that time you were looking for something and you saw this opportunity like wait a second i've been doing this for 20 years <laughs> i know yeah. how to tell people about this that was exactly what yeah. happened um uh, you know, an old friend of mine, Way Mason, was teaching um, music business at at the at the college, and uh, he um, won the election. He won the, yeah, yeah. the councillor seat in Halifax, and uh, the job posting went up. And I had been in speaking to Way's class a bunch of times, so I knew the program fairly well. And I'd taken some students on work terms, um, and uh, saw the opportunity come up and applied. And and you know. It was right after uh, my wife and I decided to, that we wanted to have children. And I've often said this, but it was like the first perfect plan that I was ever involved in. It was mm -hmm. like, yeah, we, I want to have a kid. Me too. Uh, maybe I should get a job and come off the road. Okay. Job shows <laughs> up and then uh, got that job. So yeah, it was probably the only perfect plan I've ever been involved in. And, the stars uh, aligned. Yeah, the stars aligned. But, and you know, I still... Um, still trying to create as much, and I guess that's that's not that's not well said. I'm not trying. I'm, I'm not trying to create. I just create. Like yeah. it just like I I'm compelled to create. Um, I think a lot of artists are, and you know whatever happens with the material that I create now, you know it's not. I don't need to. Um, I don't need to hustle the way I was doing 20 years ago, yeah. but. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a compulsion of mine, and uh, I really hope that that never ends because, uh, you know, it's it's what um, it's what moves the needle for me. I've said this before, but I've never actually tried to write a song. Yeah, like I've never said, okay, it's two o'clock, I got to go work on some songs, and sat there trying to come up with an idea. It's always I got well guitars in every room of the house. I sit down. Some day I used to some days just sit down. It might even be ten, eight hours, ten hours, just playing the guitar, coming up with ideas, recording little parts, and then piecing things together. And at the end, and I'm like, I might have the TV on the background or still chatting with people, but it's just like, okay, this is me sitting here with the guitar. It's the same as just me sitting here without it. Like, this is just me being me. It's not me trying to write a song. It's just what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a couple of schools of thought in that, of course. Like, there's there are people that sort of, you know, the music just comes out, and and then there's the school of thought of like, you know, you go to work every day and you sit down yeah. and you write. And I think that there's no there's no right way or wrong way, and and certainly the the latter of those schools works for a lot of people. Like, and there's a lot of evidence out there to support that. You know, when you do that, when you show up and you make it your job, the yeah. the music gets better. Like the, you know, and, and the shitty songs become uh, fewer and fewer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've kind of always been similar to you, Mike. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I don't sit down specifically to say, I'm going to write a song. An idea comes to me. I grab the guitar. Sometimes that yeah. idea comes it, while I'm asleep. Like yeah. I've had, I've had like dreams and wake up and run down to the guitar yeah. and, and, and write something. Um, but, uh, you know, everybody has a different uh, a different process and a different approach to it, and uh, I think it's awesome. And, you know, and and lately, I've actually been like setting aside time in the studio a little bit more. Reg that's a bit more regular. Like, so I'm actually yeah. like, okay, Tuesday nights I'm going to the studio from like six to ten, and and even just getting in that habit has has helped. I think uh, you know finish some stuff and and help that creative process. Especially you're super busy. You have yeah, job, your life is different bands, now. Kids, why? Like, it's hard to, 
you do have to schedule things. We started even scheduling days we're not doing things. We said, okay, on this particular day, we're not allowed to do anything. I wish <laughs> I, I wish that I could do that. That sounds well, amazing. Yeah. Not work, at least. Yeah. 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 That sounds incredible. We schedule in days not to work because it's so easy just for it to become part of your every day. And, and Mike and I have separate businesses, but we work together on lots of projects too. So it's kind of this constant wheel turning of ideas. Mm-hmm. It's bittersweet, I suppose. But I wanted to ask you, Craig, because We've chatted with lots of folks that maybe have left, myself included, left the corporate world Mm -hmm. to pursue this full-time life as an artist. Was stepping into, when you took the job at NSCC, did you feel like that impacted the natural flow of your creativity? And I ask that because, like, you don't rely on that income anymore, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, And now this is a more stable part of your life. Like, did anything shift in you when you made that change? Creatively, I, I'm not really sure. Uh, I think that um, I don't think I had more output creatively pre taking on this role uh, than I than I do now. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think it really impacted it all that much. And you know, again, I I, I just I feel a compulsion to create and. It's not like I feel a compulsion to create every day. It's just that, like you know, there's stuff in me that has to come out, yeah, and and that's and and you know, thankfully it's 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 music, um, not gas or burning <laughs> <laughs> some. I'm sure there's some of that, yeah. But it's uh, yeah, there's just, there's just stuff that that I need to get out, and and music is the the means to to get it out. What's it like? Or what was it like seeing your students achieve success? Uh, amazing. Like that's like teaching was one of the great joys of my life. And yeah. I, I miss it dearly. Um, almost every day I miss it. Um, just got a text of, of a picture of me and, a, and an old student from, from him the other day. And it's, you know, it's just things like that really, um, really make me miss being a part of um the development of other artists careers yeah. and and just uh, be, being a small part uh, playing a small part in their yeah. lives for a while so i i really miss that and and but there's there's nothing i enjoy more than seeing them go on to to having some success and there's a hell of a lot of them that have yeah. done that so it's been it's been one of the most rewarding things and one of the most rewarding parts of my life yeah. so far. Yeah. I just last week, I don't, I don't have the, I don't have students of course, but I have people come into the studio and mm-hmm. a few young people who I've kind of just, you know, helped get their career started, give them some, some advice, record some songs. And there's this young fellow where I'm working with right now. He's super talented. I've been telling everyone about him and, I had a show last week and he just turned 19. So he showed up there and I had earlier got a request for an Eagle song. And I'm like, oh, sorry, buddy. I don't play an Eagle song. So I got a young fellow I'm working with who's, he's going to be the next big thing. I was just kind of talking about him for a minute. And then sure enough, Jackson shows up. I see him walk in and I just finished a song like, Jackson, get up here. So I, <laughs> I passed him my guitar and no one in there knew who he was, knew what he sounded like. And uh, I stepped to the back and I just looked around. I'm like, once he starts, they're going to be blowing away. And he started singing and everyone just 
perks right up. And I was sitting there just like, I was so proud just to see it happening. And I can imagine that having hundreds of students who go on to achieve things in the music industry must just be amazing. Yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome feeling. And I'm glad you got to experience that <laughs> yeah. uh, last week. That's awesome. That was serendipitous timing for him. Yeah. yeah. Just to wa- waltz in when the Eagles song was requested. <laughs> yeah. he. Uh... What was the Eagles song that was requested? Buddy just requested the Eagles, oh, the Eagles in, general. in general. And Jackson played a... Take it to the limit. Oh, yeah. yeah that, that what's that called? Take it to the limit? I don't know. Probably. Probably. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, it was just really cool to see people enjoying something that, I, that I've enjoyed myself and is still hasn't been put out to the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's, he plays lots of shows himself and obviously has lots of people who enjoy what he does. But just in that moment, at, at my own show, I'm just playing some solo acoustic show songs. And uh, yeah, it was just, just really nice to see and see him happy in front of this new audience, knowing he knew. So it was, it was, it was just a cool moment. Awesome. Can you tell us about the role that you're in now at NSCC? Uh, yeah, I, I'm the school manager for the creative industries portfolio. So it's a, it's an interesting role, um, just finding ways for our programs to connect to industry, making sure that we're responsive to industry need and, and just making sure that we're meeting the needs of our students and, and of industry with the curriculum of our programs is essentially the gig. Um, like we were talking about before we started recording, uh, working from home mostly and a lot of meetings online, but, uh, it's a pretty rewarding, um, job and, and, you know, I really, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to have an impact on the creative sector in some small way. And, uh, this allows me to continue to do that. How well do you think Nova Scotia is doing in supporting their artists? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think that um, we have some amazing people and organizations that uh, are really working hard to support art and artists. And I think that everybody's uh, everybody has the best of intentions. And we know that um, government support for the arts is is always a challenge, and it's it's more difficult to quantify the economic impact of the arts than some other sectors and you know so figuring out ways to do that and i know there's a lot of people working on ways to do that more accurately and to to really present that data and those numbers to government to try to move the needle um on uh, you know increases of funding and support but um i think that we're doing a pretty good job and like you know i've gotten to know a lot of the people working in the sort of support roles for artists and not just in music in the last few years. And there's some amazing people, some incredibly smart people and incredibly passionate people that are working for artists and they are really working hard. So I, I, you know, from my perspective and just, just getting to, to know folks across the creative sector quite a bit in the last few years like i think that we as a province we're we're in a really we're in we're in good hands in a lot of different areas i remember when there was discussion about the new art gallery of nova scotia being built and the waterfront in halifax and i've heard this has recently been taken off the table so whether or not this will 
you know, become a building or not. We'll see. But I I was <laughs> we were we were having this conversation about the impact of art on attracting new people to the province and the economic spinoffs. It's a very complicated thing to try to put into language that's easily, I I don't want to say easily understood. It's just so nuanced and it's not measurable. Mm. It's a hard thing to talk about, but I, I sort of had this aha moment in arguing for the arts and being in places where maybe there's more public sculpture, sculpture or performance, like just opportunity and available. Those are the places you travel to, to take that in. Mm-hmm. And so the argument was, if we can develop our city to have such things, maybe we'll attract more doctors, for example. This is topical. 100%. And I just, I wish there was a better or clearer way of just simplifying that for the general public and whomever government to just really embrace that ideology. Because that seems to me like obvious, but it's not talked about so simply. It, yeah, it does. I think it seems obvious to any creator out there. And, um, Nobody wants to live in a place that's void of culture. And when we go, when we travel places, and I know that you guys love to travel, um, you you don't go to places um, because there's a, you know, a robust manufacturing industry there. You don't go to Mississauga for a vacation. You don't go to to Mississauga (laughs) for a vacation. But, you you know, you go to experience the culture and the people and what makes a place unique. And what makes a place unique is, you know, sometimes it's the geography, but it's really the culture. And I think that um, you're right, it is difficult to measure. um, But, you know, we see there's a lot of, companies uh in the last several years that have made halifax their home and you know we're we're based in halifax of course and uh well dartmouth is where i where i live same difference same difference like we're (laughs) on the better side of the bridge uh but uh you know there's a lot of organizations that have moved to halifax and 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 that's a big part of what makes a company want to come to an area and set up shop like retaining workers is really important to companies and again nobody wants to to move to a place and and where there's not a vibrant nightlife and a, and, mm-hmm. and and a vibrant cultural scene so it it really does have far reaching impacts and it it's 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 hard to it's hard to quantify but um there's a lot of people doing a lot of work right now to try to paint that picture in a more accurate way mm-hmm. and uh let's hope uh let's hope that that happens the the downtown really looks alive when you go down there now though. Mm. There's a lot of new buildings, a lot of stuff going on, restaurants everywhere and mm-hmm. in the summer any day you go down to the waterfront, that is just wild down there. Mm. I think they did a great job of the waterfront. Yeah, and, yeah it looks uh, great. Yeah, it's uh it it's it is great and you know, again, part of what makes you want to go down to that waterfront is because it's it's rich with culture and like yeah. it's rich with all sorts of different styles of food and there's entertainers on the on the sidewalks yeah. and it's you know there's museums and and these are all things that are um, that the arts the arts bring us um, and uh, you know I think that uh, I think that there's again there's a lot of people working on that um, right now and and my hope is that. Um, in the not so distant future, we, like people will start to understand the value that arts brings to uh, to, to cities and towns, uh, and the economic um, 
the economic impact that they have. People always just see, though, the for that art gallery, for example, it was, what, $50 million being invested into it? And you know right away there's going to be public outcry because that $50 million could go towards the hospitals or the roads or whatever. So I understand why people might see that initially because it's, yes, a lot of things do need money and need to be worked on, but I think it's just a really hard thing to explain to people. And maybe this podcast will open the eyes of everybody <laughs> We're in the We're an educational province. podcast now. Yeah. The arts are good. They'll bring more doctors will come here because they know they can go and see bands and eat good food. Just let it happen. Well, I mean, <laughs> like you raised a really good point about doctors. And, you know, we know that healthcare is uh, in a bad state right now in the province and attracting doctors has been challenging. But, you know, again, like, we're not going to be able to attract doctors to a place that's void of culture. Exactly, like they yeah. are inextricably linked. And, um, and, you know, I think that, uh, there are some people who, who, who know that, um, and they know it deep in their soul. And there's others that don't know it because they can't see the numbers and, yeah. uh, but the numbers are just really hard to paint. And, um, mm -hmm. I think if we, if we do a better job of painting that picture for folks, um, some good stuff might come out of it. I wanted to ask, when you were on the road and playing those m many gigs a year, how did you stay healthy? How did you keep your mental health in check, stay on top of things? Yeah, I think um, this is something that I've talked with a lot of bands about on tour. One thing that we did that I'd highly recommend is that you need if you're on tour you need to experience the places where you go and that doesn't mean that you drive to the place and check into the motel and play the gig and then wake up the next morning and go to a denny's and move on to the next stop and Some, sometimes that's your only option well that, yeah so there, <laughs> there are times when that's your only option but if you know if you have time off take that time go on a hike yeah. you know experience the you know the the place around you yeah. you know we did a lot of touring out west back in the day and uh w would often do that like go go for hikes and yeah and really get to experience it and you know ironically we played all the best ski hills in the country and nice and uh, we're often offered lift tickets and i didn't ski at the time and now i love skiing and i think uh, back about all those lift tickets that i declined because i didn't want to try skiing for the first time and break my leg on tour but uh, it's risky for musicians though right <laughs> you can easily break or sprain a hand or finger and then you're out of action for a bit yeah yeah you could do that uh, walking to the store too that's true. Yeah. You can do it at 19 also a little bit better. You can recover. Yeah. You're tougher. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about Maximum Overdrive. Oh, gosh. When did this <laughs> When did this project start? Uh, that project, uh, geez, I think it was about, it had to be about five or six. I think, I think this will be our fourth year this summer that we've been playing. And it was kind of, um, uh, I guess Serge Sampson was the one who sort of really put it together at first and really just wanted to do this 80s so it's an 80s cover band for those of you who don't know um which is probably most people who that would be listening know, to this. Yeah. <laughs> um but it's uh it's it's a pretty uh fun time we play uh some pretty awesome uh 80s music and uh the the 
the you know the crew and the band really dug in and really sort of learned not only the parts but the the sounds, which is such a key yeah. p- component to the, that '80s stuff. And uh, you know, we do uh, a couple of gigs a month, and uh, it's super fun. We went to the Maximum Overdrive show at the Shore Club for Halloween. Oh, okay, yeah, that was a good one. So much fun! It was rammed in there. Yeah. We kind of left like, uh, you know, like probably not a lot of people are going to be going up to Hubbard's Halloween night, and we we had our costumes on and. There was a lineup as far as we could see when we pulled in. So we kind of waited it out a bit. And yeah, we had an absolute blast. Everybody was in costume. So it made it easier to kind of just naturally interact with people. Like Mm -hmm. that barrier was broken down a little bit. But I remember like every song you guys played, I haven't thought about in 20 years, but I knew it when Mm -hmm. I heard it. Eye of the Tiger. Because we play Eye of the Tiger every morning when we wake up. That's how we wake up. Yeah, that's our alarm. (laughs) That's a pretty uh... awesome wake up. (laughs) But that feeling too was super exciting. Like, oh, I forgot about this song. And that happened 10 times in a row. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it was super fun. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's super fun just even like trying to figure out what we're going to, like the songs that we're going to tackle next in the set list. And we're always trying to like add new add new tracks and uh yeah it's super you fun you go dig through your parents cassette tapes and broach it with the band yeah well i mean I, you know, i'm not that far removed from uh growing up in the 80s so i mean well i did grow up in the 80s uh, uh might have been a little young to to listen to a lot of it but um yeah i've always loved 80s tunes and um you know there's there's a intricateness if that's a word to uh, some of the arrangements mm. that's like really unique and, uh, and and challenging and like really tough to like remember some of the lyrics because like the forms are so mm. s- strange in some of the songs. So it's, uh, but it, yeah, it's super fun. Um, people really enjoy coming and uh, getting their 80s on with us. Yeah. What are some cities or towns across Canada that you kind of hold dear to your heart that might not be something that like the average person might say, Oh, I'm going to go visit or a lot of people go to, you know, like Toronto, obviously everyone knows about, um, I found I have a few random places like Guelph is a place I like to go that, that we toured to a number of times and I loved, Mm -hmm. uh, Nelson BC was another one that was kind of a special place. What gems do you have? Man, I, I mean, you're bang on with those two. Um, it, interestingly, Guelph was certainly one of our favorite places to tour in Ontario. And it's right next to Alora, and Alora's yeah. just beautiful. Um, and, but we, we played in Guelph an, an awful lot back in the day. Uh, Nelson as well. Yeah. Uh, a lot of friends from there. And uh, the, the Wasabi Collective was a band that we toured a lot okay. with. Um, Are uh, they from there? They're, they're from Nelson, yeah, so okay. we would often, uh, you know, stop in Nelson and stay with that crew and hang yeah. out. Um, so those two places are are definitely near and dear. You know, I got to give a shout out to New Brunswick because yeah. I love, uh, you know, Fredericton is one of my favorite towns yeah. in the entire country, and um, you know, Harvest Jazz and Blues Festival there is just such a great uh, event, um, so well organized, and it's just it's just got such a great vibe. Um, but, uh, I really love New Brunswick and I love the people from New Brunswick yeah. and, um, New Brunswick, if it wasn't for New Brunswick, I don't know that I would have had a musical career because I yeah. think that they were the first sort of 
I was the first area that really sort of connected with the Jimmy Swift band. They were an early adopter. They were an early adopter. I think even before anywhere in Nova Scotia, like uh, New Brunswick was sort of on board with that. So uh, yeah, I know I'm going to give my, my, my love to, to New Brunswick on this one. I've had a lot of fun in Moncton too. Just the scene there. Yeah. I guess that's the big thing. Like you, you go to a place and you immerse yourself in the scene and you meet cool people and, outside of music like Moncton to me is not the greatest place but mm. when, when we were going there often just had our friends from there and you know all the same people come out to our shows I'm like I, I could come here every weekend kind of thing just good people who appreciate what you're doing like it just makes you fall in love with the place yeah totally uh, you know when when you tour a lot, it's like every town or city is just as good as the last show you had there. So it's like yeah. you could show up in like the most beautiful town in the whole world, play like a shitty show with a shitty PA yeah. in front of three people that hated it. And then you'd be like, oh, that town sucks. <laughs> yeah. That town's awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's like the most beautiful place ever. So it's really, uh, it, it definitely uh, skews your opinion of <laughs> yeah. uh, of a lot of places, uh, the, your experience with playing there for sure. Definitely. We won't ask for an example of one of those towns. <laughs> I always bring up London, Ontario. <laughs> yeah, you've gone there. But it's true. It's, it's often the little nooks and crannies where you're you're just treated so well. And the little, like Iona, we go to every year and they're just so kind oh, and hospitable mm. you know but otherwise probably wouldn't go there just not a it's, whole lot of not a whole lot happening in iona but the people make the experience at the end of the day yeah for sure and Iona's so beautiful so i can't yeah. can't argue with that do you guys get back to cape breton often uh i spend um a fair bit of time in cape breton and in the summer times we we go to inverness um so that's my my wife's family's from inverness so we spend some time there and um, I work out of Cape Breton a little bit these days, uh, which has been great. Uh, my folks are still there. So, uh, you know, I get back uh, I, I, enough, I would say. Um, but certainly I go back, you know, several times a year, which is great. What uh, shows do you have coming up? What's happening in your life in the future? Yeah, I, I got a lot of stuff on the go because I am uh, kind of, so this is my, I, I, you know, you have New Year's resolutions and I don't, well, I don't know if you do, but I usually don't. And this year I told myself that, um, I was going to release more music. Um, it's always been a problem of mine to let go. Like I'll. Like to share it, you mean? To share it, but to just, just to stop already. Stop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've made records where. The record was, you know, perfectly fine and then messed with it for two years to make it 3% better and then release it. And by the time you release it, you're kind of sick of it. And um, that is not a healthy thing to do. Um, And I've always known it and it's always been, uh, uh, it's always been something that's uh, been with me and something that I've tried to get over. So this year I'm really trying to release more music and you know this this is part of my therapy here even just telling you guys on this podcast that that's something that i intend to do um you know i had a really uh i got hit by a car last summer and um and it was a it was a scary situation like i uh i had a very serious concussion and you know if it had been another couple of kilometers faster or if i was another inch out into the sidewalk 
you know, this could be a whole different yeah. story, but um, going through something like that and then, you know, it, it kind of puts things in perspective. So yeah. I really, um, I'm determined this year to release more music. And I say that because you asked what's on the go and I, um, I, I've got this record that I made about eight years ago with a project called Craig Mercer and the Will Be Gones. And, and uh, at the time uh, I was making the record and, and we had some, um, some things happen uh, with our family and some health concerns that sort of brought my attention elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the band, uh, we just kind of dissolved because like the momentum had stopped and, um, and I just never came back to it. And it's, uh, it's a project that I'm really proud of. So I just recently collected all the tracks and starting to mix it out. And nice. so uh, happy to report that we're going to release that uh, in June. And I uh, started a new project with a friend of mine, Tom Easley, great yeah. bass player. Uh, it's called Keepy Uppy, and uh, we're starting to release music over the next uh, little bit here. We've got a, it was a pandemic project. Tom came over just to see what would happen. He left that night with a completed, like finished tune. Um, and uh, and we've got about, I don't know, 30 songs that we've uh, written and recorded. So we're going to start um, releasing some of that music if I if I can, you know, get out of my own way and uh, and and just leave well enough alone, then uh, God willing, that's uh, that's what we're gonna do. You don't have to work in that snare sound for two years. You, you don't. And like you <laughs> asked earlier, you asked earlier about like what advice would I give to musicians, yeah. and I, you know, it's not something that I have thought of recently, and that's certainly something right there. Like you know, like if the song's really good. Yeah. And if it's like, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta be recorded well, yeah. but you don't need to spend three weeks on the keyboard sound. Yeah. You don't. And you know, that's the, like the unlimited possibilities that digital recording gives us these days yeah. is, is a blessing and a curse. And, and in a lot of ways, I think it's been more of a curse to me than a blessing yeah. just because I have this sort of perfectionist nature and yeah. I want things to sound as good as they can. Yeah. But just recognizing that nobody's gonna give a shit about the keyboard sound being one keyboard versus another or the snare being one db quieter or louder like most people aren't gonna care and to Uh, the untrained ear like most people probably aren't hearing these things at all they probably aren't and these are the things that keep me up at night and drive me insane and as i'm sure any um, you know, any audio folks out there uh, can attest. Are you that way with other parts of your life, though? Like the, you, a self-described perfectionist and maybe you're a recovering perfectionist, but is that just your personality blanket statement? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, have you seen what I'm wearing? I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not that particular about stepping outside. Um, geez, if I struggled over my outfit every day. I was thinking I you look pretty, pretty slick, actually, because I'm sitting here in my pajamas, basically. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'm, no, I'm not like that in other areas. It, it is just the music thing. One thing that made me, and I'm, I'm, I'm similar to you in that way where I'll work on things for, for a while. And there, it does take a while to make a song, even if you're letting go of the perfectionism, like there's still a lot of time that has to go into it. But in terms of just the audience's perception of what's good and what's bad, I saw a YouTube video of Evanescence uh, from a few years back at some award ceremony. And uh, the girl, I'm not sure what her name is, she's playing the song by herself and just sounds beautiful. 
but the keyboard was either up or down half a step. Mm. And then when the band kicks in, oh, I seen this. They're out of, they're in the wrong key. Yeah, and it's horrible. Like it's just mm. like cringy. And in the comments, it's split. Like half the people are like, oh my god, that was horrible because she was in the wrong key. And the other half is like, that was the most beautiful thing I ever heard. Like, <laughs> if people cannot distinguish between... Oh, I have to listen to this now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of people just thought it was fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, If that happened on stage to me, that would be like a nightmare. Well, there's been times you've stepped off the stage mortified about something yeah. that I'm completely oblivious to. And it seems others are as well. But that's that's the difference between your audio ear and... Well, my deaf ear, I guess. Maybe yeah. that's why. <laughs> Do you feel recovered from your accident, Craig? I, I think I'm like a. I'm, I don't think I'm a hundred percent recovered, but I'm I'm pretty close at this point. Um, it took a while for. I still can't read a book. I still I don't have the really? my concentration still isn't back to the point where I can read uh, novels and like I do I I read quite often. Uh, but I haven't read a book since uh, like the summer previous to the accident. Yeah. Um, but uh, and sometimes struggling to find words when uh, I and I didn't used to struggle to find words very often. Um, but you know I'm confident that's all going to come back and yeah. uh, and um, f- physically you know pretty much back to normal. So that's great. Thank You're goodness. back to playing in the musicians hockey league. Back so to you playing. must be pretty Most good. Importantly. That's right. Yeah, back to playing hockey. And I think that was that was one of the last sort of steps of physical yeah. recovery. Is like okay, well, if I can uh, like resuming physical activity yeah. is uh, is was pretty important to me. And uh, yeah, back to doing that now. So I'm so well, I'm feeling. I'll better. be back soon and. You'll be like Wayne Gretzky once I'm out there. So. Yeah, maybe we can use this podcast to to generate a little uh, cra- crowd interest in the hockey game. Like, can yeah. can audio, can people go watch your game? You could. You can. Yeah. Has anyone ever gone to watch a game? There, That's what I I've should seen, have asked. I, I think it was like somebody's kid was at one of the games, like on their cell phone, like just checking <laughs> checking texts the whole time, one time. But uh, yeah, if you want to be uh, not entertained, you know, come see the Musicians Hockey League yeah. on Monday nights at the, the Brun Center. All right, you heard it here. Try to get a little crew together. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Craig, what a pleasure getting to chat. And again, 20 years ago, I saw you on stage and it uh, really inspired me to to work hard as a musician and to, you know, try to be the best I can be. And you've you've accomplished so much in your, your career as a musician and what you're still doing now is amazing to see. So keep it going full steam we're uh, all excited to see where it goes yeah thanks so much mike uh, great pleasure to to join you guys today and uh, really appreciate the chat sweet man great thanks everyone for listening cheers, cheers. here we are here, here we, we go. go down the highway down the road hello so neighbors hello friends, friends. Here we are, the introduction again. Okay, yeah. yeah I wasn't sure of all those words, but... Anyways, that was the theme song from a show in the 90s, <laughs> On the Road Again, hosted by Wayne Ronstad. Ronstad, I can't remember how he says Everyone will name. know who you mean. And it also, we changed the last word in it to outroduction. That which, was clever. Yeah. Very clever on the fly, too. And a really good flow to it. Mm-hmm. Great harmony. There wasn't any harmony there, but uh, it was not, it was beautiful nonetheless. It was beautiful nonetheless. 
So episode 50, we're nearing the one year mark. One year. 52 weeks. So we do have a special episode planned for week 52. Mike and I started out with just he and I recording a lot of our episodes and quickly discovered that we really enjoyed the company of having guests join us in the studio. But for week 52, we're going to just kind of look back. We're going to reflect on all the wonderful people we've spent time with, some of the things we've learned, how podcasting maybe has influenced our life in different ways. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Yeah, we'll just kind of dive in without a plan and see where it goes as we do <laughs> you know i have every word i say in a podcast i have planned in my head beforehand i think that must show our listeners certainly must know that we're reading from scripts dishwasher <laughs> uh, that is just paleontology a, they were the words that i had planned to say yeah what, what word do you have planned next paleontology, paleontology. i just revealed it by yeah. accident but that is something that we've been consistent with it's not to say that we don't plan anything we look into our guests and we're relatively strategic about who we have on um but we like to just do things organically and see what comes up and listen to the stories that are told it's been fun that way yeah it's i think it's the best way to do it and we do in the coming year we have one special episode that's going to be very different yes that we have planned yes and we don't it, have a date in mind for that yet but it's in the works and it involves we're gonna to have to put out some information in the process of gaining knowledge about it but it's about a mysterious painting that hangs in this studio and we want to find the the origins behind it and what stories have come about from this painting over the last 30 years it's an investigative episode yeah yes so anything you want to share that's coming up for you any shows that sort of thing you want to talk about uh going to pei today yeah i haven't been to pei in years actually well since we were there for an award show last um it's been we were there when i played that festival with the killers oh yeah that was fun death cab yeah july talk was there yeah yeah, that was cool. Anyways, I always look forward to going back, and you're there with the Winter Warmers crew again, yeah. who's such a fun group of people. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's next, I suppose. That's tomorrow, Thursday, and then, yeah, they just announced a show at the Carlton in Halifax. Always a fun time, and we got a bunch of other ones we're going to be announcing as yeah. well. Frickenstein Brewing in uh, Bridgewater, just announced as well. So this is all Town Hero stuff folks can find on your your Facebook page. Is that the best place? Yeah, our website will have all the shows listed and how to get tickets there. Right on. Well, I just released this uh, cool custom guitar that I made for Tori Cameron, your bass player. And she's a previous guest. She and Zach were on. And uh, that's a project that I've been working on for several weeks. And it was so fun to give it to her. I mean, that's the special part about any kind of gift that you make for someone yeah but uh yeah so i I don't know if i'll do more or not it was just kind of a special one-off for now but those are i think those are good creative projects to do when it's something a little bit different than the norm yeah yeah well we'll be back next week and then there'll be our one year anniversary after that exciting so to all eight billion people out there on planet earth who are listening Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. See ya. Cheers.